Welcome back to another untitled movie review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, you sound possessed. <laughs> oh, today we are reviewing Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor Uncut. We did see the uncut version. I just don't know if that's the actual title or not. Um, it is now playing in cinemas. Um preface this with whatever Eric and I think about this movie does not necessarily mean we think you should go to a theater to see it or not see it. Um, I'd actually right now we used to say, make a decision on your own. I'd tell you right now, probably just don't go to the theater. Um, depending on where you are. I, I mean, in, in Ontario cases are on the rise. Uh, I'm once again, not comfortable with how things are going, uh, to go to a theater again. So I can't tell you that you should, uh, we will still review this and basically um, our opinion will be, should you watch this at home or should you not watch this at home? Not really. Should you go to a theater? Cause Eric, I think you're in the same boat. I wouldn't suggest anyone go to a theater right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, um, you know, this will be available to stream uh, in November. So it's not long before it'll be uh, available uh, to watch at home. So it's, and it also will be available on 4k. So um, yeah, which we were talking about before the show, um, because of what, everything that's happening right now, it looks like the theatrical window um, is pretty short on most movies. It looks like it's, you know, three weeks instead of three months now. So for most films, like 21 days, that's what it seems like. But um, yeah, you can go see this in a theater right now. I don't necessarily suggest that you do, but we will get into what we think of the actual film. Yes. Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor Uncut. Uh, being released in both the United States and Canada, co uh, co produced by or did Elevation actually put money into this, or they're just distributing it? I think I that they actually, con. I think that they had it from the beginning. I think it is a, right. an Elevation Pictures. Uh, Lots of people release. in Canada, Telefilm Canada, Craves involved, um, but yeah, distributed by Elevation Pictures here in Canada and Neon in the United States. Uh, Eric, what well is go USA. We should also mention that as well. Cause neon teamed up with well, go USA okay. for the oh, American distribution. Yeah. Whew, a lot of people involved in this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what is possessor? Well, as I said, in my, uh, Rogers review, uh, Brandon Cronenberg, this is a different show. I know. <laughs> Don't reference that. All right. Well, Brandon Cronenberg continues to follow in his father's footsteps, uh, sort of tackling. I did do cinema scene. So everyone keep an eye on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to promote it when it when it crosses the streams. I'm um, kidding. Yeah, so Brendan Cronenberg is continuing to follow in his uh, father David's footsteps, making films that sort of depict uh, human dependency on technology, body horror, um, all that kind of good stuff. Here we have a story that takes place in a not too distant future Toronto, and it is Toronto. It's not hidden to be Detroit or somewhere else in the US. It is unapologetically Toronto. This is a sort of um, not too distant future where um, companies that are able to sort of run amok and sort of take over other people's lives via, you know, Orwellian kind of esque uh, storylines and, and, and narratives play up a huge part. So you have a character, a deadly assassin um, who's played by Andrew Riceborough and she is kind of being groomed by Jennifer Jason Lee's handler to take over her previous job, which is to enter the minds 
of people and use them as kind of a dupe to get close to a target, whether it be, you know, a affluent uh, business type, one of which is played by Sean Bean in this movie, or corrupt lawyers. We get a sense of what is going on at the beginning of the film, even though we're kind of dropped into the story in a kind of... um, in a, in a non-hand-holding kind of way, as we see a woman kind of take out a target in a very gory uh, depiction, and the movie yeah. makes no bones about it that it will have plenty of graphic violence. So if you are sort of turned off by anything that involves um, uh, violence towards the face or any other part of the human body, I would probably yeah. recommend not Nothing's watching off this. limits here. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. nothing, nothing and no one are, are off limits when it comes to uh, the oh, depravity right, yeah. of uh, Brendan Cronenberg's uh, sophomore effort after making antiviral. Uh, the, sort of themes and metaphors about, you know, human technology, humans and technology kind of melding together isn't anything new. And I kind of feel like that maybe is its biggest sort of um, weakness is that it's basically kind of saying nothing that we already aren't aware of the way that, you know, David Cronenberg's work kind of has played out. But sort of the main story here is that you have uh, Andrew Riceboro's Tassa Voss, who is kind of, you know, the best at what she does, but at the same time, not sure if she wants to continue uh, in this field because she has a family that she's estranged to that she kind of wants to get back with. And this latest job that she has um, entering the mind of Colin Tate portrayed by one Christopher Abbott um, is kind of like the next big uh, mission that she has. And again, they're a third party company that, always is basically sort of working for somebody bigger and they feel that like this is going to be one of the best jobs that they that they've been given so far so you know there there's no room for error and we see the process of her entering the mind of um Tate through a brain uh implant and the idea that you know you can take over this host and sort of become this host but also there are complications to that and that's basically what this movie is is the idea that you know who's in control the the host or the person that is supposed to be sort of basically um pulling the strings Possessing and them. yes um i i i fucked with this i i i kind of really dug it um i I mean, I think it's the perfect terminology for a movie like this, but yeah, I think it, um, I mean, you know, me with Canadian film and, and I haven't really, I didn't see antiviral and even with the elder, uh, Cronenberg's, uh, filmography, I'm not like super, like I'm familiar with it, but I haven't watched all of it. Like there are uh, things here and there that I've seen, but, um, I own, um, uh, Videodrome on Criterion, um, I've seen a few of his films and things like that. So I think maybe that's why this worked maybe a little bit more. Cause after talking with you, um, I can understand that, you know, it's very much Brandon, you know, following in the footsteps of his dad and kind of just making a similar kind of movie that his dad has made, you know, multiple times, um, in different ways. And so I could see why someone would go, Hey, this has been done before. He's not doing anything necessarily new. He's just taking it into the modern world and kind of putting his own little twist on it. But I don't know, like the, the hyper violence, the, 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 just the style and the, uh, the surreal imagery, 
um, everything from the lighting to I, I love everyone involved. Like I thought Andrea Riceboro was great. Christopher Abbott. I always love uh, seeing Sean Bean in a in a funny twist on uh, how he's usually not usually used, but kind of the memification of Sean Bean on the internet. Um, I think is kind of played in a fun way in this movie. Um, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but. I thought it was pretty intentional. Right. Um, I don't know. Like I, I thought it was a uh, highly entertaining, pretty fucked up, um, uh, fun watch. And, um, I, I don't know, like I, I kind of really dug it and, um, uh, it kind of, and I have this sort of stigma on Canadian films that they never feel, you know, polished enough or there's something off about them or like, I don't know, they don't get enough budget or, or maybe the people involved, the actors involved aren't, you know, up to par and things like that, where everything just always, you can kind of, it feels Canadian where this is unapologetically Canadian. Like you said, where it takes place in Toronto, much like the elder Cronenberg's movies did as well. Um, but I, I, I liked that about it, but it never felt like that type of Canadian movie that I always go, Oh God, there's just something, something off about this right away where it feels like a Hollywood movie. And it's just actually, it it doesn't, it doesn't in the way that it's just so fucking violent to the point where it doesn't give a fuck um, who was going to distribute this. And, and it's, I think it would have probably been cut down if we weren't in this time right now, where I feel like theaters are desperate to have, you know, movies in their cinemas where they're just like, listen, we don't care if it gets an R or NC 17 or whatever it gets. We'll just let you put it in our theaters because we need things for people to watch. Um, but anyways, I, I, I don't have like a ton to say other than like, I kind of vibed with it. And, um, I, I, I made me want to go back and watch antiviral. And it made me after talking to you, which has always been on my, you know, watch list is to actually go back and watch Cronenberg's filmography. We might be watching one in uh, in in a in a few days. Are we going to watch so the fly? We are. I never. Uh, I I've think never you need to watch it. it. Yeah. So we'll have to we'll yeah. have to eat beforehand because you will not want to eat afterwards. Um, I have a lot to say about this because it, it's one of those things where like I'm I'm mixed positive on this movie. I I like a lot of what you're you're saying, like the idea of you know setting this movie in Toronto, but not making a big deal about it, even though like you know it is very integral to the story. And I like the idea of like a dystopian esque future kind of set in a kind of overcast kind of, you know, wintry Toronto. Like it lends itself perfectly with the kind of the grayness of it and the kind of almost exhausting, you know, defeatist attitude of many of the characters in this kind of doom and gloom kind of society that we live in. Um, And I also even enjoy kind of like, again, the Orwellian nature of it, of like, you know, the company that uh, Colin Tate works for, uh, Christopher Abbott's character, who is uh, the future son-in-law of Sean right. Bean's character. Uh, um, he's engaged to uh, uh, Tuppence uh, Middleton, who, Middleton, who, yeah. funnily enough, was the lead in um, Disappearance at Clifton Hill, which co-starred oh, right. David Cronenberg in uh, yeah. you know, a rare acting role. Maybe, maybe that's how that all came together. Yeah. And so anyway, so like I actually like that, you know, the job that he has is to basically kind of 
go online and spy on people, but specifically the thing that they're spying on is um, furniture and drapes and seeing like, you know, what kind of information they can take from that. So whether, you know, you see two people having sex or, you know, um, whatever somebody does with their computer on and, you know, no tape on their, uh, their webcams. um, The funny thing is, it's like, that's not the, the thing that they're, they're zooming on. They're not getting Intel to, blackmail somebody they're just trying to find out what is you know the latest kind of like you know fashion trend and drapes yeah, yeah which i and- thought is an interesting commentary on you know how you know privacy on online right now and i mean there's all the you know facebook's getting in a lot of trouble for it for you know tracking people and i mean i work in advertising and know how retargeting and remarketing works and how i can follow you from website to website to kind of see what you click on so i think like like you said, adding that another layer of this dystopian society that, you know, you hit a accept on your privacy statement, you're basically giving this company permission to look through your webcam at all times, just to see what you put in your office or what you put in your bedroom. And, and yeah, that's such an interesting job in the sense of putting on VR goggles and you're put on a different duty. And like, it's supposed to be like the worst job at this company, which is at this ironically, weirdly, the CBC building. Um, and then uh, it's very noticeable if you're from Toronto that it's in the CBC building. And then, yeah, having this person. You could uh, say it's just- mind numbing. Ah. And then um, you're put onto a different thing. So it's not necessarily always blinds, but you might be put on blinds that day. Sorry, my alarm's going off. Um, so yeah, I, anyways, I wanted to jump in there and just thought that was an interesting kind of e- extra thing on, you know, when these movies blend, you know, technology with humanity and and just kind of have a a little bit of a social commentary on, you know, how we um, fuck with the internet and technology and things like that. Right. And like, I think my biggest sort of, I mean, besides the nepotism aspect of it, um, which is there, and I think it is a fair criticism, especially when you cast someone like Jennifer Jason Lee, who worked with David Cronenberg on Existence, which is a movie about, you know, the lines between reality and video game, virtual reality gameplay blurring together. And even Videodrome. I mean, Videodrome, some of the, the, yeah, uh, the sort of, commentary and even one of the headsets in Videodrome looks very similar to uh, the headset that Andrew Riceboro wears when she goes under. Um, so like, you know, there are those similarities that are being explored and there's nothing wrong with, with that. Cause I mean, I mean, David Cronenberg was obsessed with, you know, Canadian ph- uh, philosopher Marshall McLuhan. So it all's kind of stemming from that as well. Um, but stemming, um, which is another term that again, you know, Cronenberg has, has explored, but you look at like something like antiviral, which is a movie about sort of like a literal version of celebrity consumerism where, you know, people are so obsessed with celebrity that they're willing to buy and grow skin and flesh of their favorite celebrity and eat it to feel closer to that celebrity with Caleb Landry Jones and Sarah Gaddon. And this is to do with, you know, corporate takeover in a very literal fashion the idea that you know a a corporation takes over you know the mind and body and tells you what to do and you have no control and you know maybe for the first time the consumer wakes up and is fighting back and that takes the form of colin tate who isn't an innocent guy i mean he's 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 cheating on his fiance he's uh you know not a squeaky clean person but at the same time it's trying to say like you know just because 
we're in a situation like this doesn't mean he deserves this kind of treatment. And it is interesting as well, because Andrew Riceboro's character who you're kind of weirdly supposed to root for as she's going on this mission. And as she's going to succeed in sort of handling the situation is a horrible person. I mean, what oh, yeah. she is she's doing murdering. is terrible. Yeah. And she, for the most part, doesn't really have any connections back in sort of, you know, her own life with the, the exception of her family. And I think that, sort of is all handled very interestingly but i think some of the editing and the style it kind of reminded me a little bit of like a well-made student film and sort of how it's visualizing sure. its concept of sort of man and machine melding and the idea of again or sort fighting of, with two different you know yeah, where does where does conscious yeah. yeah and where does like the female version of that end and the male version of that begin and sort of the mixture of that and the idea of like you know are the thoughts that that this character has his own or are they the the intruder the virus that has entered or the parasite there's this whole monologue uh near the end about you know parasites taking over and whether or not you know that's the the parasites sort of making those decisions or the or the uh the actual host or maybe it's a combination of the two and i think that's kind of interesting but i think the filmmaking itself can be excessive to the point where it's like it's hitting you over the head and that start started to bother me a little bit where i was like okay i get what you're doing i like i appreciate it but at the same time you're not telling me anything i don't really already know or i haven't already seen with other David uh, Cronenberg movies or even with antiviral. Um, I think that it's maybe a little too long for, for what it is. Um, and I think like once you kind of get to its inevitable, inevitable wrap up, it kind of feels a little bit predictable in its kind of, you know, beginning and end. Um, and also some of the, some of the, the way that when we're kind of first introduced to this, third party corporation that works on behalf of major corporations um, that's run by uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, the scientists, some of the shots I've found to be a little bit jarring in that, again, the student film kind of way where it's like, it's shot with a lot of leading room and you have like characters that are kind of framed to uh, you know, the, the left of center or kind of like on the side, you know what I'm talking right, about? Right. Um, and yep. even with like, and again, I, I don't want to, you know, say that this movie is better or what have you, but I mean, I, I think I enjoyed the debriefing sequences more in something like Blade Runner 2049 than Possessor Uncut, where you have scenes right. where after a mission or after, you know, a case, you have a Trying scene- Trying to see how much memory loss there yeah, was. Yeah, stuff. if there's any charring, that was a word that was used, I thought was kind of interesting, or, or, or you know, the, yeah, that yeah. the person is still kind of, their 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 mind is intact Sounds, after yeah. linking with another body, and like how that also plays a huge role in sort of like, you know, syncing the two minds together so one can take over and how that makes a, a a more complicated situation it's very much a cronenberg movie through and through so um but it also kind of feels like some of the pitfalls of the film are from a young david uh, david a young brandon cronenberg the way that you know a young david cronenberg you know was also very blunt with, you know, his metaphors and messaging in movies like Shivers and Rabbit and things like that. And it's not that I'm against those things. It's just that, you know, I, I think that David 
matured as he kind of went on but also he was he was ahead of the curve at the time like he like people weren't talking about reality tv and consumerism the way that videodrome was in 1983 until you know the late 90s so like david was always kind of the guy that kind of knew what was coming in a weird way like he always was you know bringing up ideas that felt like okay this maybe is a little bit ahead of its time and yeah and no one is thinking this way right now and yeah. he's bringing new things to the table and new things for you to think about where brandon in this movie it, like you said i think you used the perfect word is a little derivative of what his dad you know has already been doing for you know 30 years before he was born probably right yeah so and i i can totally see that and and like you said yeah he's early in his career and i i don't mind the fact that you know you you kind of take your father's legacy and you you try to continue that. I, I I'm totally down for that. And not, and nepotism, whatever you want to. Yeah, there's so much much of that in Hollywood that that can't even bother me anymore. <laughs> like I just yeah, I'm, it I'm, is what it is. I'm not bothered like, by his like him getting a job based on like you know yeah. his name. I mean David Cronenberg, I think is one of the most underrated. And and I think, in my opinion, one of the great filmmakers and kind of put Canada on the map in a way, you know, previously that Canada wasn't before. Because, you know, when when we think of Canadian films, you usually think of documentaries or these like little kind of indie movies that are, you know, you know, questionable uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, their their style and, and what have you. Or I mean, you think we, of Canadian directors just making Hollywood movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where, where David Cronenberg is such a fascinating kind of subject to talk about because he's a guy that has been in both where he's made like movies that are Canadian, but they're genre movies that are made in Canada that are made, you know, mostly through like, at least in his early career with the brood and scanners and, shivers that were tax uh, dollar incentive movies where, you know, you'd have, you know, independent companies and dentists, things like that, putting, you know, money into the movie as a, as a tax return at the end of the year. Um, And then like, as he was progressing, you know, and, and getting his name out there and people like Martin Scorsese were taking note of him, you know, he, he made movies like Stephen King's the dead zone and, you know, would go on to make the fly, which were commercial successes internationally and, and very much in America and, you know, body horror. When you mention that term, the first name that always comes up is David Cronenberg. So, you know, like he's uh, just, I think one of the most important Canadian filmmakers in sort of putting, you know, this country on the map, but also sort of bringing a style that wasn't inherently sort of associated with Canada at that point. So, you know, like that's something that uh, a legacy that kind of is, is, integral and i kind of feel bad for brendan cronenberg because i'm sure he does share many um interests that are similar to his dad but wants to make his own sort of way but it's hard not to compare both of these movies to david's work of course and like i said i'm cool with him trying to continue that and for i like i this movie worked for me like it was unsettling i liked the hyper violence which you don't see I mean, there are movies that obviously are are very gory still, but just not in the way like we saw, like we know of David's work too. So I don't know, like it's, it's horrifyingly gross at times. And like, I don't know, I kind of, I vibed with that. And I just like the idea of, you know, 
uh, I like dystopian, futuristic kind of, you know, uh, movies that deal with technology and things like that. So that's why I probably should go back and watch, you know, David's stuff. But I don't know. This worked with me. I really love Christopher Abbott. I thought like um, the movie kind of shifts, and a- Andrea Riseborough is obviously the lead, but the, she's obviously possessing Christopher Abbott for the majority of the movie. So he really uh, kind of takes well, the lead here. Playing and two roles. He's playing yeah, which I, a version of Colin Tate, his character, but he's also playing a version playing, of Andrea Riseborough's character. Playing right? him. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's what I love. I think he's such a versatile actor and I think he is super underrated too. And we recently saw him in black bear as well, which we'll have a review up uh, very shortly for you guys to check out, which played Cinefest Sudbury. Um, and he's just consistently like one of those guys that I love seeing pop up in movies. And he's do he's always working with interesting people and doing like dark subject matter or weird movies. And I always appreciate him for that. And and vaping, I think this is the per- vaping, yeah, Don't always vaping, that. yeah. God bless him. Um, there's so much vaping in all these movies we've seen lately. Um, anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, th- I think this is the perfect time for a movie like this to be coming out because I feel like it'll get a little bit more attention than if it was just kind of, you know, not dumped, but put out with, you know, a, a plethora of other, you know, uh, awards baity movies or blockbusters or things like that. Because a movie that is this like kind of unsettling and violent and, um, you Uncut, probably you will. Uh, yeah. Would only have played in a few cinemas probably. And, and wouldn't have really gotten much attention other than the crowd that, you know, would have, paid attention to it so um i hope people seek it out i I think like if you're into disturbing like fucked up thrillers that you know maybe are has something interesting to say and then even though it might be derivative of what his dad's already done i think you'll kind of dig it and i really liked it i'm teetering between like a three and a half and a four um but God, I don't know. I'm going to go the three and a half with it on. I'm going to go. I really liked it. I'm going to go three. I still appreciate what is being shown. And it just kind of made me miss David Cronenberg in in, in a way because we haven't gotten one of these movies in a very long time. So, you know, like normally a film like this, I might be a little harsher to because, again, it's kind of mimicking, you know, the the original model. But um, I, I do think that there are moments in this movie that are graphic but it did also leave me a little bit cold like watching the film i wasn't sort of grossed out in in a way that i think the right. movie wants you to be or shocked in a way that the movie it's wants brutal, you to be but like i don't know if it's I also think that's yeah. just because we're film critics and we see a lot of stuff and like we're almost desensitized to violence in a in a certain yeah. manner um, but I could see what, like, could you imagine watching this and like, if it played TIFF and it played like at the Elgin theater or something like that and hearing like oh, a, people walking out yeah, yeah, and like hearing the reactions to certain scenes, like, I think that could have been like, like, that's, you know, a, an unfortunate aspect of, you know, of, of many that's going on with the pandemic is that, you know, the social experience has kind of been taken away. And I think that this would have been one that would have been very interesting to have while watching a movie such as this. So yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, a cool Halloween mask that will probably maybe come out eventually. Right. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I, I vibed with it. I think I'd, I'd like to give it another uh, a watch even maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, I vibed with it. Okay guys. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but we have two other podcasts that I would love for you guys to go subscribe to the Untitled Movie Podcast, where our 77th draft should be available for you guys. 
very, very soon where Eric and I kind of go over our festival experience this year, as well as kind of some of the most recent news in the entertainment industry. There's been quite a bit lately with movies getting delayed, you know, casting different directors, jumping aboard things. So we got lots to talk about there, as well as Untitled Movie Conversations, where we interview people from around the industry, our most recent episode, uh, another psychological thriller, but in very different ways. Uh, we um, interviewed Jay Wadley, who's the composer for Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Uh, please toss us a review on your podcast service of choice. We'd really, really appreciate it. And um, you can follow us on all those social medias at Untitled underscore cast. You can follow me at Matt Rohrbeck. I'm usually bumming around Letterboxd and Twitter. And you can follow all of my work around the internet, but mostly at UntitledMoviePodcast.com. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my reviews at RogersTV.com slash CinemaScene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Long live the new flesh.